You've seen it in your science classroom, and there was probably a copy of it on the inside cover of your chemistry book. Maybe, if you're a real nerd, you might even have your own personal copy. Yet its very creation was a revolutionary breakthrough that helped scientists and generations of students understand the very things that make up our world. Learn more about the periodic table of elements and how it helped explain our natural world on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code DAILY to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about, the stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com. My audiobook recommendation today is Periodic Tales, A Cultural History of the Elements from Arsenic to Zinc by Hugh Addersley Williams. Like the alphabet, the calendar, or the zodiac, the periodic table of chemical elements has a permanent place in our imagination. But aside from the handful of common ones, the elements themselves remain wrapped in mystery. We don't know what most of them look like, how they exist in nature, how they got their names, or what use they are to us. Unlocking their astonishing secrets and colorful pasts, Periodic Tales is a passionate journey through the minds and artist studios, to factories and cathedrals, into the woods, and to the sea, to discover the true stories of these fascinating but mysterious building blocks of the universe. You can get a free one-month trial to Audible and two free audiobooks by going to audibletrial.com slash everything everywhere, or by clicking on the link in the show notes. The very first elements were discovered by early humans. The very first ones were all metals. Copper, lead, iron, silver, gold were some of the very first elements that humans recognized. They had no clue what an element was or an atom, but they knew it was a thing, and they knew that one thing like copper was different from another thing like iron. 
By the time the end of the 18th century rolled around, America was a newly independent country, and there were a little over two dozen known elements at the time. In 1789, a French chemist by the name of Antoine Lavoisier made the first systematic attempt at trying to list all of the known elements. He came up with a list of 33 elements and grouped them by known attributes. He primarily divided them into metals and nonmetals. Unfortunately, many of his elements weren't really elements. He included things like light and heat, which weren't even physical things. However, he did get one thing pretty much right. He defined an element as something which could not be broken down any further. Today, we call them atoms. As the 19th century began and chemistry became more sophisticated and analytical, there was a rush of new elemental discoveries. Dozens of new elements, usually rare ones, were discovered in the first half of the 19th century. In 1829, German chemist Johann Wolfgang Doberreiner got a little closer. He noticed that many of the elements that displayed similar properties could be grouped into threes, and that the atomic weights of the elements were all next to each other. Over the next few decades, as more elements were discovered, chemists noticed that there was a pattern with how elements bonded to each other. For example, carbon could bond to four hydrogen atoms, or it could bond to two oxygen atoms. However, all the attempts to try to organize all of the known elements didn't work. It seemed to make sense in bits and pieces, but when he tried to put it all together, nothing seemed to make sense. In 1860, a conference was held in Germany on the subject of atomic weights. They determined that hydrogen had an atomic weight of 1, and that every other element would be measured in comparison to hydrogen. In 1862, a French geologist named Alexandre Millebier de Chancachois came really close when he noticed that there was a periodicity in the elements. This was a huge step forward in understanding how everything fit together, but it wasn't quite there yet. He actually proposed organizing them in the form of a helix or a screw. The 1860s saw several other attempts at organizing the elements, and each attempt brought something new to the table which helped describe the elements in relationship to each other. There was one problem, however, that no one had figured out. The big breakthrough in the organization of the elements came from a Russian chemist named Dmitry Mendeleev. In 1869, he published his table, in which he used rows and columns to organize the elements by atomic weight. He would start a new row when attributes started to repeat. The breakthrough element of his chart, and the thing that no one else had really done until this point, was that he left empty spaces where there were undiscovered elements. Everyone else just put all the known elements together, and that was why everything didn't fit. Mendeleev just let the atomic weights speak for themselves, and if there wasn't a known element that fit, he just assumed that it would be discovered later. By leaving spaces empty, he also guessed at what the general property of the new element in that spot would be. He was also willing to occasionally ignore the order of atomic weights when it made sense and occasionally switched elements around. His first table in 1869 wasn't perfect. He produced another table in 1871 which had more spaces for undiscovered elements. There was also one big unresolved problem. There was a huge gap in atomic weights between the elements cerium and tantalum that he couldn't resolve. At first, no one really gave his table much attention. Then, a huge discovery in 1911 really set the periodic table on firm ground. New England physicist Ernest Rutherford discovered the nucleus of the atom. After that, it was suggested that the chart follow the atomic number of the atom, which is the number of protons in the nucleus. It turned out, the table was almost already a perfect fit. Based on this new understanding of the periodic table, English physicist Henry Morsley predicted in 1913 that there were still three elements to be discovered between aluminum and gold. 
his prediction was 100% correct. The last natural element discovered was francium, which was discovered in 1939. That big gap between cerium and tantalum was finally resolved by Glenn Seberg in 1942, who identified the rare earth elements which are usually separated from the rest of the chart at the bottom. They are also known as the lanthanines and actinines. One of the interesting implications of the periodic table is that the last natural element is uranium, with an atomic number of 92. However, there are a bunch of empty spaces beyond the number 92. Unlike the missing elements lower on the chart, these can't be found in nature, so scientists have been working over the decades to make them themselves. The elements closest to uranium can be created via nuclear reactions. However, the farther out you go, the only way to make them is via smashing together other large atoms. As of 2009, researchers have created all of the elements to fill up the table. The last artificial element to be created was element 117, which is called tennessine. The last element on the periodic table is element 118 called agnison, and it falls in the same column as the noble gases. All of these artificial elements have extremely short half-lives and often don't exist more than a tiny fraction of a second. It isn't known if there are stable elements further out or if there might be stable versions of the atoms that they've already created. So, how do you read the periodic table? Starting in the upper left with hydrogen, it goes horizontal by atomic number. Hydrogen is 1, helium is 2, lithium is 3, etc. As I mentioned before, the atomic number is the number of protons in the nucleus, and that's what determines what an element is. Each row is called a period. Each period corresponds to the number of electron shells the element has. The first shell has two electrons in the shell, so there are two elements in the first row. The second and third shells have eight electrons, so there are eight elements in the second and third row. The rare earth elements at the bottom are usually displayed separately, but they do fit on the table. However, if you printed the table with them in their proper place, it would be really, really wide, so it usually isn't presented in that fashion. Each column is known as a group. The group reflects the number of electrons in the upper electron shell. The first column is known as the alkali metals. All of these metals have one electron available, and everything in that group is extremely reactive. This includes lithium, sodium, and potassium. If you haven't seen it, go look up a video to see what happens to these elements in their pure metallic form when they're placed in water. There are many videos online that show this. They are all explosive, and they get more explosive the further down the group you go. In the last group are the noble or inert gases. They rarely react with anything because their electron shells are full. They include helium, neon, argon, xenon, and radon. Metals tend to be on the left side and in the middle. The periodic table is really an amazing thing. It so neatly and cleanly encapsulates how all the elements which make up the world relate to each other. It isn't just a handy educational aid, but it also should be considered an actual thing of beauty. The associate producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is Thor Thompson. If you'd like to support the show, please donate over at patreon.com. There is content only available to supporters, merchandise, and even opportunities for a show producer credit. If you know someone you think would enjoy the show, please share it with them. Also remember, if you leave a five-star review, I'll read your review on the show.